How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are locked on Lakers, your daily podcast on the Los Angeles Lakers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome everybody to the Locked On Lakers podcast. I am Anthony Irwin. I am not joined by Harrison. I'm, I'm, I'm. Harrison told me to promise that I don't bring on our our next our, our guest, the special guest for tonight's show, as his replacement. But there's no real promises at this point. I'm joined by I'm joined by Zach Harper, formerly of CBS Sports, uh, who will eventually run basically all of all of NBA media. Zach, how are you doing? I'm a, I'm for a guy that doesn't have a job right now. I'm pretty good. Thank you. <laughs> uh, it, you know what? The, the, it's kind of, it's kind of nice sometimes. You just kind of like get a break. Yeah. Be able to just watch the NBA. It's weird. Like it, it's weird not writing stuff and not podcasting right now. I mean, I'm jumping on a lot of <laughs> a lot of podcasts right now, but I, like it's weird not doing my own thing. But there is also like a a certain level of like. Oh, this is like I kind of just get to watch basketball. Like I, I like I haven't gotten to watch like just watch basketball a whole lot over the last like nine years. And so while I would much rather be working and doing stuff that uh, that you know gets me a little bit of money, um, it's been it has been like kind of nice. Yeah, yeah. The, the the tiny little breaks are just just kind of soak it up because right when you right when you start working again, it's like oh man, that I should have enjoyed that break. Uh, right, exactly. <laughs> uh, we're gonna. So basically, the way Zach and I are going to handle the show, uh, Zach's kind of of you know team that he grew up on and and knows a bunch of well he knows about a bunch about the rest of the league. But the team that I kind of identify him with is the Minnesota Timberwolves. They have a super bright future. Obviously, this is a Lakers show. They have a pretty nice future themselves. So we're going to compare uh, the team's futures. Before we get into that, make sure you find the show on Audio Boom, iTunes. Silver Screen and Roll, Tune in Stitcher, and today's Fast Break. Today's show is brought to you by Lake uh, by SeatGeek. Make sure you're using the promo code LOLakers to get your $20 rebate on your first purchase using the application. It's the best and easiest way to buy tickets online. All right, so with no further ado, let's go ahead and jump into each other's teams. I'll go ahead and start. Basically, I'm going to talk about the Wolves. Zach's going to talk about the Lakers. And then we're going to see if we can find some kind of agreement uh, as to which team is is most likely to dominate the league for the next decade or so. Because it's definitely only one of these two teams. Oh yeah, no, the, the Warriors roster isn't even that intimidating. No, I mean, look, they can't even protect the rim, right? <laughs> unless Lakers have Bosgoff, <laughs> right? Unless, Lakers have um, Bosgoff, the Wolves have Cat. Like it's over. Yeah, pretty much. 
Uh, not to mention Jang, who, who no, who was it? Uh, Yelitsa murdered the Lakers the last time they played. And, and, yeah, he did. He had a really yeah. Anywho, all right. So I'll go ahead and start. Uh, the the point guard situation for the Timberwolves, from where I'm looking at it, is Ricky Rubio is insanely underrated. And they drafted Chris Dunn, who people I think are a little too anxious to get in there and, and get some playing time. I I think Rubio is going to be the the straw that stirs the drink, even though they have a Carl Anthony Towns on there. So so far as Rubio is in there to kind of dole out, you know, the the usage rates and and really guide, be the rudder of the ship. So long as he's in there, I kind of trust them. But the more they have to lean on Chris Dunn, the less I trust the the Wolves moving forward. Is is that fair to say? Um, yeah, for this season, I think so. Right. I mean, I, Rubio is just like, you know, it's kind of tricky because there is a ceiling with him, right? Because he can't really hit jumpers all that well, and he can't finish, which I think is a much bigger problem than not being able to hit jumpers. Um, he draws a lot of fouls, and he's a good free throw shooter. So that makes up for some of the scoring inefficiency. Um, but for the most part, like over the years, whether they've been a good team or a bad team, the, the wolves have relied on Ricky Rubio to be on the court. Right. And like, sometimes that's worked. Sometimes he blows out his ACL. Sometimes he, you know, mangles his ankle. Um, but whenever, whenever he's on the court, they're, they're a pretty good team. And whenever he's off the court, they're kind of a disaster. And so they do need him a lot. I do think there's a lot to the idea that Chris Dunn can thrive in a Tom Thibodeau situation over the years in a way that Ricky Rubio can't. But if we're talking this year, yeah, you'd be dumb to trade Rubio unless you're getting a fantastic player in return. The thing that I kind of look at with, with Rubio, and or the thing that makes me feel better about the, situa- the, the situation is Dunn, Dunn isn't a, a young guard. Like he's not. He's coming in at 22 years old. So, right. it, if and when Rubio is not on that team, Dunn is mature enough physically to kind of step in and and try to make it work next year. You know, as soon as next year because of what he'd be stepping into. So that that kind of helps that timeline because you don't want to waste any years of Carl Anthony Towns. You just you can't. Uh, especially for an organization that wasted 12 years of Kevin Garnett. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. So, so here's where I kind of wince and, and get to take, I get to hear you talk about D'Angelo Russell. And if you say anything wrong, this audio might just cut out. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I was laughing, being so, being so, so much, so much last year at the around this when people were saying, well, D'Angelo Russell's a bust. He's not very good. He can't handle it. He showed that he doesn't belong in the NBA or he's not this, you know, he's overhyped and all this stuff. And I'm just like, what are you watching? Right. You know, like this, I mean, you know this, I don't have to explain this. Like it just wasn't a basketball situation, right? Like between the Kobe Bryant farewell tour, which I think is deserved because he had a phenomenal career, but it stunted a lot of focus on actual basketball and then Byron Scott doing whatever he was doing on the sidelines. Um, it was, basically, I mean, I, I always said, I always called him like he was Kobe Bryant's personal assistant. Like he wasn't their head coach. He was their personal assistant. Um, it was but kind of funny like, today he was on cause, uh, Rachel Nichols, they have the, it's the jump, right? They have yeah. the, they have the show, the jump and Amin and Rachel are talking about how exciting this young Lakers team is. They've gotten off to a start that people weren't expecting. I definitely wasn't wasn't expecting this, and they kind of throw it over to Byron, and he starts naming he starts naming like the the Lakers young guys. And you know, it's nice to see Randall successful. It's nice to see 
Nant successful. And then he kind of, he gets to what would obviously the next name he's going to name is going to be D'Angelo Russell. And he's kind of like, and, and D'Angelo is, <laughs> 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 and, and, you know, and if he's, if he's still feeling like this, you know, months removed from the situation, it, it couldn't have been that, it, it couldn't have been a nice situation to deal with at the right. time. And I'm sure, like, I know the whole Nick Young thing, but even outside of that, like, you hear things that D'Angelo Russell is just kind of an immature guy, right? Mm -hmm. But that happens, and that's where you need more leadership not to be shunned by your coach, and that's where you see Luke Walton a year later makes D'Angelo look like the guy we thought they were drafting, right? Like, I mean, it, it's funny now to, to think about how the opinion of him was a year ago and how it is now. Like, he's just good. Like, right. he's like he's sloppy, He's he throws some sloppy passes and he has a sloppy handle. Um, you know when he gets a, he can get a little loose with his handle, but he's mm -hmm. still very good. Uh, he still has an incredible skill set. He can hit shots. He can go to the rack. He can really do it all uh, in terms of offensive ability. And and I thought I mean from what I saw tonight, like he defended pretty well. And I think he's got the the opportunity to be a good defender in the future, or at least like not a not a net not a net negative mm -hmm. as a defender. And if that's the case with the way he can play offense, like he's just awesome. Like I really and it's possible I'm overvaluing him, but I you know I I like the comparisons moving you know moving into his career of like oh he's kind of like a light James Harden or whatever. And mm -hmm. and I think that that I think those. I think those show themselves quite often. You know, he's got a lot of work to do. He's got a lot to improve on in terms of field the game and running a team and all that stuff. But, um, but man, he's like what, 21, yeah. 22, 21, 22 years old or whatever. Like he, and he's good and he's going to be good. So I, like it doesn't even really matter who their backup guard is. Like I know they've run a lot of Lou Williams and, um, Jordan Clarkson as lead guards, uh, you know, the Huertas and Calderon and all those guys, like, it doesn't matter who their backup is. Like just give D'Angelo the minutes and let him kind of cook. Well, that's kind of been the thing this year is nobody on the Lakers is playing more than 30 minutes a game. I don't think yeah. anybody's even averaging 30 minutes a game to be completely honest. And people are kind of freaking out about, you know, what's, what's going on. I thought, I thought, especially the people, I'll, I'll get people kind of jumping in the fantasy mentions a little bit like, Hey, what's, what's, what's going on with Russell? Should I, should I not have drafted him where I drafted him? And, and we're finding out that it's not going to be a Steph Curry situation at all. It's, it's going right. to be more of like, it's, it's going to be a more balanced attack. And it kind of makes sense because the Lakers have so many creators. Whereas, you know, if we were to look back at the Wolves, as of right now, and until Chris Dunn, you know, kind of steps into that role, it's it's kind of Rubio and and Towns of you know when Towns forces a double team, yeah, and uh, and it makes it, it makes the Lakers a, a lot harder to guard, and it's it makes them a lot more fun to watch, which is something I did not anticipate saying this quickly this early on. Yeah, for sure, and I just think that a lot of that comes from. Um, you know, Russell's ability to be fun, obviously Julius Randle, who we'll get into and like, you know, guys like um, Jordan Clarkson, guys like Mozgov, like everyone just kind of seems to embrace whatever role they're being asked to do. And, and I, it, like, I don't know how sustainable this Lakers thing is because their upcoming schedule is pretty tough. Ooh. And, and, and for a lot of these like young teams who can have early success. And we saw this with the wolves a lot last season, uh, when they started eight and eight is like after about a month, everyone has a good scouting report on you. Right. Yeah. And then we, and then, you know, the young teams don't usually deal really well 
with that scouting report. So maybe this Lakers thing fizzles out, but I don't know. Like they're fun so far. Yeah, that's basically the way I was. I was kind of thinking about it. I, I I was walking the dog this afternoon, and the way I kind of looked at it was like the Mavericks. I think started two and seven. I don't know if they they played or won tonight, but they started two and seven. And the way I kind of looked at it was the Lakers could very easily go two and seven at any point in their in their season, and now all of a sudden the Mavericks and the Lakers are are head and head. And for fans who were thinking playoffs with this team, you know the Mavericks have been there before, and it's about how the Lakers kind of handle that situation. The the Timberwolves are in the same kind of boat as well, right? Where they're where they're kind of trying to figure out, well, what you know, I I penciled them into the in, into the eight spot this year, but. It depends on how they handle the expectations of making the playoffs early on. Um, let's yeah, go, let's, it, yeah, oh, for ahead. sure. Well, I was no, gonna no, say, I was gonna say, I was gonna say that it's like it's kind of funny that this team has been phenomenal offensively and horrible defensively for a Tom Thibodeau coach team. Like it just tells you, like I don't know if they fix it this season. I, you know, I had them pegged for forty wins and not in the not in the West playoffs. Um, but it's like it just shows like there's a lot of work to be done with that young team. Yeah. And, and that's what's exciting about both teams is that there are very easy steps for both teams to make to make them really, really, really good fairly quickly. Yeah. Um, all right. So the shooting guard spot that I'm looking at with the Timberwolves. So um, ESPN only has Brandon Rush listed as a shooting guard, which is kind of funny because Zach Levine is pretty obviously a shooting guard at this point. I mean, he, he starts at shooting guard for them, so I would think. I would think so. <laughs> And and so I basically when I'm evaluating an individual player, like if I when I back you know when roads weren't paved and I was still playing basketball, the the least the, the player I least wanted to guard was somebody who could shoot from the outside and was athletic enough to also get to the basket. Yeah. And that's Levine, you know, in in, in terms of the individual skill set that you would hope to see at the shooting yard spot, he seems to have it now. I don't know how he'll be able to play defensively in team defensive set, settings, but if there's a coach that could bring out the most in him in that in that spot, it would be Tom Thibodeau. And and yeah, I, I actually think of everybody on on the Timberwolves roster, Carl Anthony Towns. We know is going to be phenomenal. Like we know he's a superstar, but. Just like I felt with when Doc Rivers signed on with or, you know, was traded to to, to the uh, Clippers, the, the player that I looked at and said who's going to benefit the most was, was DeAndre Jordan. And in this case, I see it as, as Zach Levine because you just don't have that shooting ability and athletic ability and don't make it work very often in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, the defensive stuff is going to be tricky because he's not a very good defender. He's gotten better already this year, but he's still very inconsistent. There are times where you're just like, that looks like Kevin Martin taught him a defensive stance. Like there's, you know, there's <laughs> there's some problems there. Um, but he's gotten better with rotations and he's gotten better with staying in front of Matt, you know, his man. And, and you know, he's kind of learning how to use his athleticism and his and his length to to bother guys. But yeah, it's like, that's very much a work in progress. Offensively, he's awesome. Yeah. I mean, and and he's not like he's just a a special shooter, like not like Clay Thompson special, but he's like you know he's and whatever. We're ten games into the season. Um, he's on pace to hit like two hundred fifty threes, which has only been done twelve times. He's shooting forty six percent from three, and I don't think it's a fluke. Like since you know since the the All Star break last season, he's shooting like 
you know, like 45% from three on a lot of attempts per game. Like he's really good um, in terms of being able to shoot the ball where he needs to figure out, you know, that next level is his ability to pump fake a three as a, on a hard closeout and then, and then drive to the basket. It's not that he's bad at it. He's just inconsistent with using that athleticism. Um, most of his, most of his shots around the basket kind of come in transition. Uh, he just, it's weird. Like you think, you think, Oh my God, this like, he is probably the second best dunk contest guy of all time behind Vince. Mm-hmm. Like, and I don't think that's a crazy thing to say. Like, I think he's that good, but you don't see him like go dunk on people. Right. And, and, like he doesn't really use that athleticism in the right way yet. But I think that, you know, you've seen some flashes here and there of him finding the, the driving angle and getting a layup. I think eventually that will turn into trying to dunk on the competition and getting more free throw trips. Well, I think part of it is he's a one legged jump jumper, right? So yeah. that makes it tough to, to dunk on people because you have so little balance coming off of one leg. And, and the other thing too, like you talked about his, his shooting. I find it insanely impressive that somebody who jumps as well as he does has actually been able to, you know, kind of tone it down the way you would like to see it toned down without going the full Sean Marion route where he just refused to jump very much off of his jumper. Uh, I actually, I watched Levine shoot and, he actually benefits. He 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 uses that jumping ability to his to his uh, to his benefit, and yeah. that's the, for somebody. And and we talked about Chris Dunn earlier. Levine's twenty one. He's younger than Dunn, and right. and he seems to be figuring it out. So yeah, I think he has a really really bright future ahead of him. Yeah, he. I mean, he he. You know, he could be easily a twenty point per game score. I mean, he's averaging just under twenty this season. Now you need to be able to do more than that, especially for Tom Thibodeau. But um, the potential there for like their you know their big three moving forward in terms of firepower does kind of like you know Cat and Wiggins are are phenomenal. But like Levine could be as good a scorer as those guys, which is kind of insane to say. Yeah, <laughs> the Wolves are are pretty much stacked. Which is I, I I'm really looking forward to this rivalry kind of moving forward because I think both teams have super bright futures ahead of them. Yeah, finally maybe we'll get a playoff series where I don't have to worry about you know Sam Cassell doing the big balls dance and, <laughs> and tearing his hip. <laughs> that's that's about as <laughs> depressing a sentence as as you can hear about, about a franchise. And that's the best moment in Wolves playoff history. <laughs> <laughs> I was. Uh, all right, so I guess I'll, I'll make this point now. I was thinking about this last night, and it's kind of funny. Right now you have D'Angelo Russell and, and Kat, and I actually think there's there's a think piece to be written, and everybody hates think pieces, but but I see Kat as like a Tim Duncan type, where everybody just knows at this point he's just good, right? He's yeah. good, and he's going to be great, and we see that future ahead of him. And yet we look at Russell, and I feel like Russell has, you know, he garners more headlines because we don't quite know quite yet, right? And that was always the thing with Kobe and Duncan, was that Kobe always got the headlines because he was either doing something really, really great or really, really dumb, and and then there were things in between there. And then Duncan was just always really, really good. And I, I kind of see that kind of... Uh, not rivalry because I don't I don't consider those guys rivals because Towns is just that much better right now, but that relationship moving forward as as those guys continue in their careers. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting. It's kind of an interesting contrast of like the whole and Cat's pretty flashy for a big man, but yeah. um, 
but that whole like kind of just like you would expect Towns to be this even steady progression, right? Of just like his consistency with putting up numbers and everything is going to be phenomenal. Whereas D'Angelo maybe has these like higher peaks and high, you know, it may be lower valleys, but, um, but sometimes that roller coaster can be more dynamic or more, I don't know, just intriguing. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of, that's the way I look at it is that I don't think there's any doubt Carl Anthony Towns will wind up with the better career as of right now, but Russell's the right, the ride along the way for Russell is, is going to be, uh, going to be kind of funny. All right. So what do you, so I, I guess for, for the shooting guard for the Lakers, we're looking at Clarkson and, and the revitalized Nick Young slash Lou Williams. Yeah. I mean, Lou Williams is like fun. I've never <laughs> been a huge Lou Williams guy, but watching him this season, like he's really fun. Yeah. And I love the fact that he's just embraced this six man role on a like a lot of veterans could look at this situation and be like, no, I should be starting over D'Angelo or I should be starting over Jordan Clarkson. Or I should be starting over even Nick Young, who's a veteran like. But Lou Williams has just been like, no, I'm just going to come off the bench. I'm going to get some buckets and I'm going to shoot a, a high percentage and you can rely on me every game to do that. And that's and that's just such a weapon. Like, you know, you know me, I'm a team gunner. All day long. Like, I, I love me Jamal Crawford. I love me Ricky Davis. Like, you know, Nick Young. Like, all these guys off the bench. Um, and so I, I think there's just a great value in having that weapon against second units that aren't always able to match that. Mm-hmm. So you you couple that with, with Jordan Clarkson, who's just like – what did he go, like 46th in the draft? Yep. Or something was, like that a yeah, couple years went, ago? He went 46th, and then the Lakers basically bought him. From yeah, Washington. from like the Wizards, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like, what a bunch of idiots! Like, who? Like, how do you let him <laughs> drop to forty six? Like, I thought he was a borderline first round pick, right? Mm-hmm. And then that he goes in the second, you know, halfway through the second round, you just look at it now, and it's just funny because the work he puts in with Drew Hanlon and the work he, you know, the work he's he's embraced with the Lakers. Um, you know, he could be a guy who's trying to steal the spot spotlight away from other young guys, and he's just kind of bought in and. Um, he's a phenomenal scorer and he's a kind of a tenacious defender. Like he makes mistakes, but I think that, um, I don't know. I think he could be a real weapon on that end of the floor. And so, I don't know. It's just weird to think like all these pieces are fitting together in such a mature way because of the mix of young guys versus veterans, which can cause problems elsewhere. It's kind of funny because the Warriors could absolutely use Jordan Clarkson. Oh, 100 percent. They they've they've been looking for, you know, they had Andre Miller for forever. And and I look, Andre Miller is a professor and and I'm not going to say it an ill word against him. But I think I don't think it's even a question if Jordan Clarkson turns out to be the player that he's been out here in L.A. out there in Washington, then you're looking at a different ceiling for that team. And and yeah, I was a little hesitant. And now that I kind of look at it with hindsight the Lakers are grooming Clarkson to be, you know, this, this super sub kind of player. And they kind of already saw what role he's best fit. You know, he, he, he's best to work in. Yeah. And, you know, it's just a matter of finding a shooting guard who, who works ahead of him. Right. And as of right now, they're making do with Nick Young. And then later in games, they're making do with Lou Williams. But I have my eye on, on JJ Redick. Though I don't, I think it's going to be really hard to pry him from from the Clippers. But if they can get a, a shooting guard who is just without a doubt better than Clarkson, then the roster makes even even the more sense. Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, they they will need a little bit of a stability at mm-hmm. that position at some point, and I think that you know it's the depth is fine now, but at a, at a certain point, it 
there, you know, you do need to streamline it a little bit. Yeah. Um, but man, like the way they have it right now, Clarkson and Williams and, and even, you know, Nick Young's been pretty good so far this year. Like just a nice bevy of bucket getters to get. <laughs> it, I, I was predicting that I we have a segment on here, Terrible Take Tuesdays, where basically the the co-host Harrison will come on here and he'll search through my old tweets, and then you know people who follow me on Twitter will also find my old tweets. And somebody found one the other day where it was just me asking, "Why is Nick Young still on this roster?" (laughs) (laughs) And 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 yeah, I mean, given the fact that that Luke Walton is now putting Nick Young on the other team's best perimeter scorer. I look like an idiot, but I'm fine with that. Um, all right, so before we move on to, to small forwards, I do want to really quickly give a shout-out to SeatGeek. And uh, here we go. Basically, SeatGeek is, is the easiest and best way to buy tickets online. Personally, I really like the deal score that they give. Uh, it, you know, I'm, I plan on going to a game in February to you know in Boston because I have a buddy who lives out in Boston. And I'll have to buy tickets, and it'll be nice because I've never I've never sat in in the I you know in the TD Bank North Garden, and I'll get to know before I even sit down that I'm getting at least a decent rate out there, uh, without taking into account the fact that I have to be in effing Boston. But you know th- there are worse ways to to handle the situation. Zach, I, I know, right? You know, you get to you get to be credentialed all over the place. But have you have you been able to use SeatGeek before? Absolutely, I used it. Uh, I actually used it for a Dodger game this this summer, yeah, um, and and got great seats at a at a really good price. And and I do like that it's like it will tell you, hey, these these seats, not such a good deal. These <laughs> seats, yeah, these these are the ones you want to try to target. Exactly. Yeah. So, and then, and then they have, you know, if you, if you're looking to spend only a certain amount of money that you get the, you get the price notifications, you get, it's, you don't have to print it out in, in the vast majority of stadiums and arenas all over the country. And then it's not even just a sports thing. If you want to see a show, you know, whatever you see geek, you get the same deal score and all that. It's, it's, it's a great way to sell tickets as well. I sold some tickets on there just recently. So, so make sure you're using SeatGeek and make sure you're using the promo code LOLakers to get your $20 rebate on your first purchase using the application. Again, that is SeatGeek and the promo code LOLakers. All right, so let's go back into the comparisons between the Wolves and the Lakers. We're looking at small forward and, and the Wolves have a guy that I honestly didn't think had a 47-point game in him, but that's the kind of thing that happens when you have Nick Young guarding you and you get to shoot 20, 22 free throws in a game. Hey, don't, don't go the D'Angelo Russell route and be all <laughs> salty that, uh, that he got to the line. You stop fouling him, he'll stop going to the line. Um, man, Andrew Wiggins is so good, and, I'm, and I just, I've been laughing at like the Rudy Gay and DeMar DeRozan comparison. And DeMar was having a phenomenal season, but... Um, I've said for a while that I, you know, since he got drafted, like I think his ceiling, or I think his floor is like a mediocre Paul George, mm-hmm. um, which is a phenomenal player. I just think like, I just think people don't really get how hard it is for young guys to to keep getting to that next level, and and they see complacency as a step back, whereas sometimes it's just you're adjusting to what things are. So last season. Did Wiggins get better? Not really, but he didn't get worse. And mm-hmm. and I think that being able to maintain that kind of that kind of level of play for such a young guy when teams are now scouting you and teams are now, you know, now have a plan against you, 
like that that side that side to the or that step to the side is basically a step forward and then now he's hitting threes and and he's getting to the line even more and he's getting to his spots better and his handle is so much better and his passing is you know still a work in progress but it's improved so much over the last two years like he's just good and i i just think it's funny that people discount him what what i think really really helps with him so i think Levine you know has you know has his career going in the right direction where there were i had some questions about him overall but he developed a shot and he made it work. And I think with Wiggins, I, I think he's best suited. And this, I don't mean this as a knock, and, and I know this kind of comes across as a cliche, but I, I think he's best suited as a number, you know, a number two guy on a roster. You just say, score when you can, create where you can, lock up whoever's in front of you, and make it work. And with Carl Anthony Towns on the team, it seems like a perfect situation for him. And then when you add into the fact that Tom Thibodeau was his coach, and when you consider what Thibodeau was able to do with Luol Deng defensively, Wiggins could be a monster on that end. An absolute, yeah. an absolute he, he, monster. Yeah, I mean, he he's, you know, he's been at, since day one, uh, two years ago, he's been asked to defend Jimmy Butler, James Harden, Chris Paul. Like, he's just asked to defend whoever the best perimeter guy is. Mm-hmm. And his on-ball defense is it's real like he's got some things to clean up, but um, but it's really spectacular yeah. for a guy that young. His help defense was really bad the last two years. Mm-hmm. Um, he fell asleep, you know. You backdoor cut him. Um, he wouldn't fight through screens or whatever. But you know that's not really an option with Tom Thibodeau. And so uh, to plug the blog a little bit, um, a Wolf Among Wolves uh, writer, uh, this guy Lucas Schaefer. Um, asked me for like some clips on Wiggins defense to, to write something. So I was going through synergy and he wanted like examples of good things with man to man and rotations and, um, you know, challenging spot up shooters and all this stuff and bad things. And we, and I got, and I'm going through these clips and I like, I was really struggling to find bad examples or, or enough bad examples for the rotations and the spot-up shooters that he's closing out on and stuff like that. And that's just a testament to like how much he's embraced what Tom Thibodeau is asking him to do. Now, there still needs to be more consistency as there is with you know, every 21-year-old in the, in the league. Um, but it's kind of funny to me. Like As soon as we realized how good Towns is, it was, I started getting all these questions of like, Wiggins or Towns, Wiggins or Towns. And I'm like, I don't know that we have to answer that. Yeah. Why, like, they why would them, you they answer that? And, they, and they're going to have them both for like seven, eight years at least. Like, yeah. I think we're good. I, think, I, don't think, I don't think we have to like create a Stefan Marbury, Kevin Garnett situation. That's such a weird tendency. Like this either or thing when they don't even play the same position. Like it'd be right, one exactly. thing. Like it, yeah, out here in, in Los Angeles, it was a Larry Nance Jr. or Julius Randle thing. And they play, they at least play the same position. So the conversation is coming from a place of, you know, that kind of makes some sense. Whereas <laughs> with those guys, it doesn't make any sense. And the other thing I was going to say while you were talking about the off ball tendencies, I actually tend to lean on coaching, you know, when you're evaluating off ball tendencies with young players. The Lakers were awful the last couple of years off ball and they never got any better. And then, and you know, when people kept on saying, Oh, they're never going to be any good defensively. I would always say, well, yeah, cause their coaches advice was to man up. Like the, the, right. you're, not, you're not, you're not actually going to get any better in that situation. Whereas, you know, and, and look, the, the world's coaching situation was heartbreaking. Losing flip was just yeah. devastating. So, I'm not going to I'm not going to to fully judge whatever was going on there as as 
harshly as I would as I do with Byron. But yeah, it's it's. I don't think he learned as much as he could uh, in that situation as he as he will now with Tibbs, and that's what's fun to watch with somebody again who is how how old is he? Where is he? Yeah, twenty one. Twenty one. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's gonna be really really good. Yeah, he's uh, he's a lot of fun. Um, I lo- I actually really like the Lakers situation of having Luol Deng as the veteran. Um, and then, and then having Brandon Ingram, like I was really high on Brandon Ingram. I'm still really high on Brandon Ingram. He's got, you know, he's got to figure out the speed of the game. He's got to figure out how to, you know, create his own shot while being, you know, so like kind of thin. Like, I don't think he needs, I'm not a, I'm not a subscriber of, he needs to put on 20 pounds of muscle. No, I think that's dangerous. We already saw that with Simmons. Right. Exactly. Like, I just think, I just think that's dangerous, but he can get stronger. And so that doesn't always mean adding mass. Like it just like Kevin Garnett didn't get a whole lot bigger from his rookie year to, you know, when he was an MVP in 2004, uh, but he got stronger. And so I think Brandon Ingram, you know, yeah, he could probably use some mass on those legs. Like those legs are toothpicks. They're, they're, you know, cartoonish and how thin they are. But, um, but you just look at like his wingspan and his shot release and how smooth everything is with the ball. Like, I think the Kevin Durant comparisons are ambitious at best, you know, but like, but he just has such a feel for scoring the ball, and, I, and we haven't gotten to see it a whole lot. But as he gets, you know, just more adept to the speed of the game and the physicality of the game, he's going to learn the angles and he's going to learn what he needs to do. Um, it's kind of weird because it's not a, it's not a, a good comparison in terms of style of play and and how they, you know, how they look physically. But I would love for him to like just go and I, I realize I'm saying this on a Lakers podcast, but go watch Paul Pierce, like just go study the way Paul Pierce in, you know, in his Celtics days used angles and used things. And part of that was his strength because he's an incredibly strong player. But, um, but if Ingram can kind of learn those angles, which I think he will eventually with that scoring ability and that length, he's just going to be impossible to stop at some point. I, all right. So the next game, uh, if anybody from the Lakers is listening right now, just bring Brandon Ingram, in on a wheelchair and we'll know that he's listening and and we'll make it work right exactly (laughs) the thing that the thing that i actually so i was thinking about this today while i was watching the game i don't think he's gonna come you know he might finish you know top three top four whatever in rookie of the year but i don't think he'll ever really seriously challenge for the award and it's because he's not going to get as many offensive opportunities as other guys are going to get Right. But he's the kind of guy who, when you watch him you know, play defense and when you watch him do the smaller things on the court, I actually like where he is compared to everybody on a basketball court in his rookie class outside of, obviously, Joel Embiid. But Embiid is now, you know, he would have been two years into the league, right? So I don't know right. if that's even a fair uh, comparison. But, you know, for somebody who is as young as he is, and I think this has a lot to do with just learning directly from Luol Deng, who is one of, in my opinion, one of the best defensive small forwards that we've seen in the last, you know, 10, 15 years. And, uh, it, you know, when you, when you watch him kind of move around defensively and he's just, he tends to be in the right spot. He's really good at contesting without fouling and utilizing that length. He does the things that, you know, he's not going to get the counting stats that you need to be a to be a rookie of the year. But I think at the end of the year, when you look at, you know, like net rating and defensive rating and stuff like that, he'll he'll actually fare pretty well compared to the rest of of everybody in his in his class. Yeah, I agree. And I think, it, you know, it might be like a even like a James Harden type of situation where he just doesn't bo- like blow you over as a rookie. Right. 
like you see flashes and you see um, him building consistency, but for the most part, like he just doesn't, uh, you know, he's not setting the world on fire while other guys are. But as you see him get more and more opportunities and work his way more and more into the rotation over the years, you're going to get like, oh, that's why that guy was the number two pick. Like he's just crazy good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, in terms of in terms of the the Wolves power forward situation, it's kind of tough. So do you? I, Towns is listed as a center, and I think his end game is being one of those. You know, like Tim Duncan was always listed as a power forward, but he played more of a center. Right. Especially as the as the you know the direction the NBA is going, Towns is going to be better suited as a you know as a stretch five. You know, if he, if he could somehow just stay at the stretch five and always hit shots, I guess I'll I'll talk about him last, save the best for last there. But Gorg Gorg is it Gorgie or Gorgie or Gorgie Jang? Gorgie Jang. Uh, considering. It's tough when you're playing alongside somebody like Towns, and it's tough to get shine in that kind of situation. And I think eventually, I think the, the, the Timberwolves will try to find somebody who who uh, shoots a little bit better from the outside than than Jang does. But as of right now, you you know, if he's just out there doing the grunt work, I, it's kind of tough to go wrong with somebody like him. He's just really solid. Like when I when I watched him out there, I didn't really see him do anything super dumb. That would hurt the Wolves, and that's all you really need when you have guys like Levine and guys like Wiggins and guys like Towns on, you know, surrounding you on the perimeter, and and hopefully Dunn if he if he steps into the role that he's capable of stepping into. Yeah, and it's tough. With, it's tough with Gorgie because, um, and and I don't I don't know what to make of this, but like the last three seasons, you know, all three seasons so far with him, he's um, he's just started really slow. Like he's just like he hasn't been very good the first month to where I'm like, man, why is this guy out there? Like he's been bad. And then like he like like December comes and just a, a flip is uh, or a switch is flipped for him. Like it's um, and so I don't know. I, I don't know. Like I don't know how to deal with that. Like I don't know if he's just like the Mark T- Mark Teixeira to go, <laughs> you know, baseball to basketball yeah. comparisons uh-huh. of, of the NBA. But whatever it is, like it's just the case um, so far this year, he's been good offensively. Like he, he's from 16 to 18 feet. He's money, like really good jump shooter from that distance. They've tried to, you know, split him out to the corners a little bit to make him a three point shooter. I don't think he's quite ready to do that, but he's, he's got a, a pretty solid jumper as, as you get out to like 20 feet. But yeah, it definitely needs to be better. Um, but they like, I mean, they like him so much that Tom Thibodeau hasn't had a lot of time around him and gave him $64 million, you know? Mm-hmm. And that doesn't, I think a lot of people think, oh, so that means like it's him and Towns as, you know, two bigs, or, you know, moving forward. I don't think that necessarily this is the case. I think if they could find a stretch four who could play defense, Gorgie would be their first guy off the bench um, yeah. to kind of, you know, create mismatches and everything. Uh, defensively, he's everyone just assumes he's a good defender. He's not really. No, uh, he's not that good of a rim protector, and he's and he's been bad so far in pick and roll coverage, um, both protecting the rim and and kind of getting out on on stretchy bigs. Um, but again, like he was horrendous defensively last season, the first month, and then kind of figured it out. So I, you know, for for a guy who can hit a mid range jumper, who knows how to pass who is traveling less than he did in the past, which is a big deal. Like he was like, he was good for like one or two pump fake shuffle the feet and dribble travels every single game. And, and that's, and he's cut down immensely on that in a year where they're now emphasizing or allegedly emphasizing that 
with, you know, with, uh, with how the refs call the game. So, um, the fact that he's kind of cut down on that and he can rebound and he get, you know, he's a very just solid big man. Um, yeah, he's like, he's a, he's a bright spot for them, uh, and kind of fills out that core nicely. And, and as the cap continues to grow and as it continues to go up, $64 million for a backup big is really not going to be that big a deal when you consider how solid he can be in that role. Right. Like Yamahimi went and got 70 million. Right. And like, yeah. Um, Mozgov, yeah, seventy-two. Yeah, Mo- yeah, exactly. Mozgov, uh, uh, and it's like it's like they could possibly have a really good Ennis Cantor. Yeah, you know, who can actually like maybe learn some defense under Tom Thibodeau. I actually no, I actually think he can. I he has the athleticism to me that makes me think he like when I watch Ennis Cantor, I just I never I could never see him, you know, being a, even a decent defensive player because he just doesn't move well enough. But. It's it's weird watching a six nine guy and you think like oh that guy's never gonna dunk the ball <laughs> <laughs> right right he's he's just kind of moving around out there and it's like you know you can hit the turbo button sometimes right <laughs> you're allowed to um, but yeah I, I actually I you know eventually the the wolves will will kind of upgrade so that he can kind of move to the bench but as of right now you could do worse than Jang alongside Anthony Towns because of how much attention towns is going to garner yeah for sure and he's you know and that's it's resulted in a, between you know the defense trying to count for levine and wiggins and cat this year um jang is has gets a lot of open mid-range jumpers and i know we don't love those in in today's analytical world but he hits them and he hits them at a high rate and so that you'll live with those when he's continuing to get those and at some point you know teams may not leave him so open and then everyone else gets to feast well right to that point I remember I was listening to a Levitard show and he was asking Aldridge because LaMarcus Aldridge is really, really good at the mid-range, right? And he says, well, because of the analytics movement, people keep on giving me that shot. And if I just get really, really good at it and they're going to keep on giving it to me, then that just means, you know, I can I can feast in that spot and then force teams to adjust to what they do normally and then that puts them in kind of weird situations anyways and i'm not i'm not saying jang will ever be anywhere near as good as aldridge from from that spot or at basically anything in terms of basketball but if that's the way he's kind of thinking then then there are worse ways to address to to uh, go about being successful in the nba yeah for sure and then so the lakers have julius randall who tonight uh, well, when everybody's listening to this, last night uh, got a triple double, and I saw some some stat uh, that everybody's freaking out about. Apparently, Magic Johnson and Julius Randle are the only Lakers players to ever record a triple double before turning 22, and I think that's what people don't quite get with Randle is that he's he's kind of sort of young, uh, even still. Yeah, and he and I've been like I I didn't really know how to feel about like I liked him coming out of Kentucky, but. Um, but I don't like he just seemed there was a little bit of Josh Smith in him where he would just kind of get himself into bad positions. And I didn't know if that was youth. I didn't know if that was just a lack of awareness. I didn't know if that was, um, you know, co- like bad coaching or whatever. Uh, but it was kind of hard to judge him. And this year, um, it's like I talked about this on the with um, with some people on the True Who podcast, I think last Friday, where uh, he. Like he's he's driving in and he's getting into those situations where um, where he's surrounded by two defenders. But this year he's like kicking it out 
And not that he didn't do that before, but he's doing it way more consistently. And he's finding shooters with passes to their shooting pocket in the corners or, or on the wings. And he's, you know, he's just making such better decisions with the ball that it shows a maturity with him. And that's, and if he can, I mean, if he can harness that and he can, you know, not, I mean, he's stat hunting a little bit in the second half tonight, trying to get that <laughs> triple double, which, you know, I get for a young guy and I'm not going to, I'm not going to kill somebody over that. But, um, but if he can like kind of avoid the stat hunting, I think it'll just come naturally for him. No, I'm not going to, like, he's not going to get, you know, magic, num- magic Johnson, triple doubles all the time. But, uh, but like, I don't think a couple of years is a crazy thing to expect out of him. And he could be, a, he could end up being a guy who like averages, you know, five assists a game at the power forward position, which is rare. He, I was the same way. I was not as high as, as Randall because of his lack of shooting. Like, I just don't think you can be a successful NBA player nowadays and not be able to shoot. Like, I don't, I don't think that works anymore. Uh, but he's actually improved from the mid-range this year. And one thing that Luke has really done to make him successful is he doesn't, he doesn't make him the guy who has to get an assist after a hockey assist, right? Where right. if there's a pick and roll on, on the strong side, they don't put him at the top to be to you know make him rotate the ball really quickly because he has a tendency to want to be he's a ball stopper yeah and uh and because luke has kind of taken that situation away from him it makes him look a lot smarter on the court uh and and that's not to take it it's, when i say that it's you know it sounds like i'm taking away from his actual success i just think both things can be true i think luke can be putting him in a, in, a, in a better situation and he can be making better uh better decisions in general and i think that's really what you're saying yeah and that's and that's what we want right i mean we we get into this thing of like oh that guy's a system player well you want guys to thrive in systems that you put them in right Right. yeah like that's always such a stupid criticism to me people are like well maybe Kawhi's just good because he's a he's a he's in the spurs system or maybe he's just good because he's he's him and he's in that system like it's possible to like i think it's ideal to have both like you want guys to maximize their talents in the way you play them right. so if that's the case where luke walton is making him better that doesn't that doesn't take away from from what julius randall is doing if anything it just shows like hey that's the culture that you want right it, it, i always kind of laugh when they say he's so and so is a system player. So what? You want somebody to succeed despite the system? Is that what right, we're exactly. is that we've what we're that. looking for? We've seen that before, and it doesn't usually work out. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The the success that Randall has has had so far this year feels more sustainable because it is in part due to the coaching. You know, if it was just him and he was playing out of his mind, then you kind of say, well, eventually regression is going to happen. Uh, I I feel like you know even if regression happens it's not going to be as severe as it would be if it was just on him playing out of his mind so far. Right, and it's not like he's the franchise guy, right? No. So if there is some regression, it's probably because the guys around him are getting more opportunities, more responsibilities, and then that will eventually draw the defense, and then Julius Randle gets to kind of build back up again. Right, right. So, all right, here's, here's what I'm, I'm sure everybody's been waiting for <laughs> in terms of the Laker fans who have been listening to this, but... We get to we get to brag about Carl Anthony Towns at this point and and how lucky we are to to watch this kid. I remember even even knowing that he was going to go first overall, you know, the year he was drafted, knowing that that was going to happen, and telling myself just do not get your your hopes up. There's no way he does not go number one overall. I was still really bummed when the Wolves called his name. Because, <laughs> like, like, you know, you just knew it's, it's pretty rare that you just know with a guy before he even comes into the league that he's going to be special. And he's been well, – there's my, there's my cat screaming in the background. <laughs> she, she apparently is a Carl Anthony Towns fan as well. Uh, 
he's just and he's lived up to the hype and more he's he's just that good every time i look on twitter it's like carl anthony towns has played 20 minutes and he has and he has uh 22 points or you know he's shot the ball six times and he has 18 points you know he's just he's just really really good and it you know especially for somebody like you who grew up with the kg era that has to be, you know, you never really think you're going to have two KGs, but you're kind of looking at town saying, you know, this is kind of fun. It's it's weird because I don't I don't want to think like I don't want to think he's as good as as Kevin Garnett. And I do think that um, it's such an it's such an easy comparison to make because of, you know, big man, super talented, Tim, Minnesota Timberwolves, like all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but at the same time, like you just watch him and it's it's just it's just different than than the whole Kevin Love thing, right? And and that's not to that doesn't take away from what Kevin Love tried to do there and and you know, I mean he was put in some really bad situations by David Kahn and uh, and it just didn't work out. And mm-hmm. but like you had these really high hopes for Kevin Love because he had this skill set and he had this just like unbelievable ability to to lead the team to a certain place and, and just didn't have the help. Whereas with cat, you look at it and it's like, man, I don't know that he's going to need help like that. And that sounds stupid to say, but I don't know that he, I don't know how much help he is going to need because the, like a, any way you try to slice up his numbers, there is, um, you know, like, Oh, he was the only rookie to ever do this other than Hakeem Olajuwon, or he was the only rookie to ever do this other than, Shaquille O'Neal or Tim Duncan or like, you know, like there, there is no, there is no like, oh, he put up these numbers as a rookie, but by the way, also Tyreek Evans did this, right? Mm-hmm. Like any way you try to dissect it, it is, it is just Hall of Famer after Hall of Famer. Now that doesn't mean that that projects over his entire career, but the, like you, you nitpick at what he, at what he needs to improve on and and you feel dumb nitpicking about it. And it's like, he was the best mid-range shooter in the NBA last year. Not for a rookie, just period. Yeah. The best mid-range shooter. Like, nobody was better at that. Like, you go to guys who had at least, like, 350 attempts or something like that. Nobody was better than Cat. Um, he, was, he was pretty good defending the rim. He's even better this year. Like, he passes the ball. He dunks on people. He leads the break. Um, he just does it all. And, and, it's, and, and it feels weird as, like, a Timberwolves person saying this, but... I don't think the franchise can mess it up. Like that's how good he is. And, and, and that's how it should have been with Kevin Garnett. So maybe that's a lesson that in caution of like, Oh, you really shouldn't feel that way. But it just like, he feels, he feels like he's, he's so good that I just, I don't even think the Timberwolves can screw this up. (laughs) The the thing with me. So when I'm watching cat, like some some guys just kind of carry themselves in, in manners that like if if things aren't going really well like the the wolves didn't the the Lakers started their game they were dragging you know they brought the bench and they kind of made made a run back into it and then Cat kind of stepped onto the court and he was like you know what guys uh yeah this shouldn't be this close you know right. <laughs> and and then you know he makes he makes you know three four plays in a row and then the game is you know kind of sort of over even though it was it was not you know it was in the second quarter right and and not only not only does he carry himself in that way but he has the confidence in his teammates to be to to carry himself that way like some guys 
last year D'Angelo Russell would kind of say, you know, he would tell himself that, yeah, I'm the I'm the best player on this court right now. I have the highest ceiling on this court, but I don't think his teammates necessarily believed it. And at no point in Carl Anthony Towns' career has his teammates not believed it. And that's right. that's pretty special. I don't know this, I don't know if I can give anybody a higher compliment than that. Well, here's a little story that will tell you just how how good he probably is right now. And and I and I look at his stuff, I'm just like if he just puts up these numbers for the next 15 years, that's un, like that's unreal. Like if he doesn't get any better for the next 15 years, he's an incredible player. But he will get better because he's a great. You know, I I hate throwing this around because you don't really get to the NBA unless you're like Stromile Swift if you're not a hard worker, right? Mm-hmm. But for all the hard workers in the NBA, like he is an even harder worker. Like there are just that kind of elite level of guys that um, that just put in more work than even the crazy NBA workers. But uh, but so like even if he's just this good and never improves, he's going to be phenomenal. But he's so good that he got Draymond Green to praise him. Draymond Green doesn't praise anybody, <laughs> let alone rookies from another team. But right. after they played him last year, Draymond Green walked away and he was telling all these reporters like, man, Cat, like Cat's good. Like Cat's going to be a real, a real problem for everybody. Like Draymond Green is gushing about this guy. Draymond yeah. Green doesn't praise anybody. And that's yeah. how good Carl Anthony Towns is. He can break Draymond Green out of that. Yeah, it, I mean even to that – and I, I'm, I'm going to sound like a homer right now because these are things that I just kind of know off the top of my head. But Green said the same kind of stuff about Randall. Like he was asked about Randall and playing against him. And he said that like Randall is capable of, the same, of the same, some of the same stuff. And he could actually be better because he's younger. But I felt like that was kind of hollow praise that like Kevin Durant said that Brandon Ingram was further ahead than he was at his career. And, and that was kind of funny to just hear in and of itself. Whereas when when Draymond Green says that about Cat, it you really feel like, yeah, he probably means it. Now, with all this said, Zach, I'm gonna I'm gonna present a a hypothetical trade offer. Okay. What if what if the Lakers could offer a player who has an offensive rating of 120.8 and a defensive That's rating? Good. Yeah, a defensive rating of of 103.8, meaning a a, a net rating of of 17 uh, points there. A uh, defensive rebound percentage of, of 16, which, you know, could be a little higher. A true shooting percentage of, of 60%. And, uh, and basically an all-around beast. Would you, would you trade Towns for that player, regardless of sample size? Because I swear to God, I'm not expanding a, a, sample, a small sample size player. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know how I could turn that down. <laughs> His name is Avica Zubats, and he's going to be a superstar, according to Better World Peace. Hey, Avitz is legit. I saw him in in summer league, and people were excited. He's. I don't know if those people know what they're talking about, but they were excited. <laughs> it's so fun. He's he's a cult hero out here. He really is. Like we could we could analyze the the Lakers center position right now. They have Mozgov for you know seventy two million dollars over the next four years. There's no real future there. Um, but. I, I don't pay any attention to draft stuff leading in because I kind of feel like a lot of it is a, tra- a crapshoot, especially as the draft goes along. But a bunch of people that I do trust on it felt like Zubats was was taken way later than he probably should have been. And then you saw him play pretty well in summer league, and then he, he's he's played sparingly in, in the, the Lakers season so far. He might be okay, but those those that offensive and defensive rating is pretty tough to turn down. So at any point, go ahead and and pass the I mean, the offer along to. to yeah, the do you need a draft work. pick? I, yeah, I mean, I feel like I I feel like I need to throw in more. I wasn't gonna ask for more, you know, because I'm a terrible negotiator. But if if, <laughs> if 
if the wolves are willing to offer more, then then yeah, I, just, I don't know how I don't know how they could get away for just cat for Zubats <laughs> straight up. That's that's kind of what we're looking at. All right, so we'll go ahead and put a wrap on this. But we did get a question that I thought was was uh, that that felt the conversation that I was hoping you guys we we would have here. Come on, where is it? I lost it. Basically, I think it was. Uh, if you could have, if you could act in all of Nicolas Cage's roles, or if you could have all of his mansions, which would you choose? Oh, give me the roles. I'd, I'd agree. Yeah, because uh, between Wicker Man and Snake Eyes, and really the movie Next, the, the movie Next is a is a really beautiful disaster. <laughs> um, oh, all right. I found I found the actual question. Sorry. All right. So, would you rather have one of Nicolas Cage's castles or his collection of stolen dinosaur bones? Dinosaur bones. It's not even close. Because I feel like anyone can go to a castle. Yeah. I've been to Hearst Castle. It's kind of boring. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Um, I'm sure the castles like in the United Kingdom are, are more spectacular, but no, give me the dinosaur bones. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, we've already gone for way longer than I anticipated. I really appreciate you coming on the show tonight. Uh, I'm, I can't wait to find wherever, wherever you wind up next. Uh, whoever gets you is going to be super, super lucky. And, and yeah, thanks, man. Thank you. I appreciate the kind words, and, uh, and this was fun. So I'll, I'll be happy to uh, annoy your listeners with more Timberwolves stuff in the future. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, Harrison, yeah, I'm, as soon as we get off this call, I'm, I'm negotiating with Zach to take your spot. So sorry about that, bud. Yeah, sorry, Harrison. You're out like, you're out like Barnes? No, that was terrible. That was a, <laughs> that was a really bad attempt at a joke. <laughs> uh, it's not worse than I've done on my own show. All right, so... Uh, make sure you're following the show, Audio Boom, iTunes, Silver Screen and Roll, TuneIn, Stitcher, and today's Fast Break. Today's show is brought to you by LO Laker, or by SeatGeek. Make sure you're using the promo code LO Lakers, and I will talk to everybody again down the road. Shouts to Mike Pemberley.